This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth planners and investment managers who offer unwavering support in challenging times. Visit CanDoWealth.com for more information. Hello and welcome to a special Saturday edition of Coffee House Shots. I'm James Heal and I'm joined today by Spectator's political editor Katie Balls and special guest James Johnston, pollster and co-founder of JL Partners. Looking at the polls where they are, Katie, first of all, is Scottish independence now dead? Well, I think it's, it's too soon to say is um, the answer, which we could end the podcast there, but that probably wouldn't be such a good idea. Um, but I think it is fair to say it feels as though it's been dealt a setback this week through the departure of Nicola Sturgeon. And if you speak to figures, unionists are much more happier than nationalists this week in terms of the general cause. Obviously, there are some in the SNP who would like a different leader. But I think when you talk about the chance of independence uh, in the near future, um, that is seen as less likely than it uh, was seen on Tuesday evening before Nicola Sturgeon resigned. Though, of course, there was plenty to suggest that the independence cause was was struggling, I think, which was a contributing factor for Nicola Sturgeon. So it's not so, it was so, you know, peak and now she's walked away, it's completely changed. I think the problem for nationalists is, if you think back to the past few years, um, and I say this as someone who... I was born in Scotland, has lived my life, even though my accent doesn't suggest it, perhaps, my English parents. I feel as though the point where independence looked the most likely to happen, or the time when the unions had the most difficult case, was when you had Boris Johnson as Prime Minister and Nicola Sturgeon as First Minister. And when you had Nicola Sturgeon, who was very popular, I think there are some polls suggesting she was the most popular leader in the whole of the United Kingdom. And then you had Boris Johnson, who I think to many uh, voters in Scotland was almost um, a parody of what you would uh, expect a, a Tory leader to be. Now, I remember, you know, there, and obviously you can't go completely on Vox Pops and James um, Johnson um, is, is going to give us a much more uh, comprehensive view of focus groups. But I remember, you know, you'd get these Vox Pops and they couldn't find a single person on the street to be nice about Boris Johnson. And therefore, by moving to a situation where Boris Johnson, who I think cabinet ministers who back Boris Johnson would say, we back this person for many reasons, but we don't think he is good for the union. The fact that he is now off stage and the fact that Nicola Sturgeon is heading there means we are heading to a situation where it seems less likely. But of course, we don't quite know what the replacements are going to be yet. James, your thoughts? Yeah, so I think what's happened really in, in terms of Scottish public opinion is that the SNP has sort of been dealt sort of a, a double blow. One has been on this recent stuff in relation to... Uh, the Gender Recognition Act uh, and the uh, issues that Nicola Sturgeon has had uh, in terms of the uh, Scottish Bill on on trans and the invoking of uh, Section 35 by the UK government. That clearly didn't go the way that perhaps the SNP and SNP strategists thought it would. Um, And clearly that has emboldened uh, support of the UK government and also diminished a bit of support for independence. But I think the bigger thing that's going on, the second sort of blow and the one that's been going on for quite a bit longer is this sense amongst Scottish voters that they do not want another independence referendum. And when we asked, we asked that in a poll a couple of weeks ago, and even one in three yes voters from 2014 say they do not not want a referendum in the next year, which until this week was Nicola Sturgeon's preferred timetable. So, and I think back to when I was running polling in number 10, I was dispatched up to uh, Scotland in... um, in the uh, in the autumn of 2016, when uh, the prime minister then was working out how to say no to a second referendum, and uh, I was sort of you know sat in various Glaswegian front rooms uh, talking to the uh, voters, and 
they were all saying we want to focus on schools, the NHS, public services, rather than on another independence fight. And I think that's really impacted popularity of Nicola Sturgeon. I think that's really impacted popularity of the SNP. There was a YouGov poll out today, out a couple of days ago, showing that uh, Labour is now only two points behind the SNP in, in Westminster voting intention. Look, is independence dead? I don't necessarily think so, at least, but it does seem so for the short and medium term. Is the SNP dead? I think that's a much harder question to answer, partly because the SNP's popularity now depends on them not pursuing independence so, so avidly. If they can put together a strong domestic message with a new leader, then they may well have a chance to recover. But the SNP and independence can no longer go hand in hand as a winning sort of electoral coalition. And that's, Katie, that YouGov poll is what I wanted to ask you about, which is that, as uh, James says, you know, two points behind in Westminster voting. Does Scottish Labour look like it's the big winner of this week then? I think as a political party, Scottish Labour is the party that has the most to gain from this, if you think about where SNP voters could go. Um, and could you have a resurgence, which if you think about all those losses in 2015 in Scotland, which has been a big blocker to any Labour resurgence, if, if you can amend that, then obviously the chance for a very big majority for Keir Starmer looks a lot more likely. Um, so I think we can see that there. Um, as I'd be interested to know what um, James Johnson thinks in terms of how much difference a leader will make because you have a situation where I think to the point on independence, what, uh, and all parties have this, we saw this with the Tory leadership contest and also the Labour leadership contest, what the candidates might say to win over the membership could be quite different than what they need to say to win over the public. And you can imagine independence being a really live issue in terms of how you're going to deliver that to the membership. But then does that mean you end up with a leader who's going to make independence front to centre or perhaps a Keir Starmer type figure who says one thing to the membership in order to get to where they need to be and then pivot slightly once they're there? Yeah, I wanted to ask, James, I mean, Nicola Sturgeon is a very well-known figure to the Scottish public. There's strong views, you know, I think whatever. She was known, I think, as, as that woman. Uh, are you either with her, for her or against her, with her or not. What is the sort of view about a potential successor? Because I saw one poll in the Times which showed that seven in ten Scots thought don't know was don't know was the preferred choice to uh, succeed her. Are there any sort of public opinions about the most likely people to replace her, which are Angus Robertson and Kate Forbes? No, you know that poll that showed that the vast majority of Scots don't know who to name is not not a you know indictment on any of the contenders it's more a reflection that people just don't know who the contenders are um partly because scottish politics has been so dominated by nicola sturgeon over the last uh, few years so look i think that a new leader does have the potential to shore up the smp position everybody both in england and in scotland you know, swing voters are very willing to give new leaders a chance and i think that they will be open minded about what comes next but like i say you know if if that new leader goes strongly on having an independence referendum in her in his or her first introduction to the electorate then that's going to turn quite a lot of people off quite quickly but if they actually you know really work out what they need to do to win those voters then you could see a new leader uh, having a bit of resurgence. But just to go back on on your your question to Katie there, and Katie's point, uh, Labour is absolutely the big winner in this. Uh, I, I've, I've just been looking at YouGov poll, when you look at the headline numbers, it's actually Labour three points behind the SNP. But it is still that is still a remarkable position. If Labour could get anything like that come an election, then it dramatically increases their chances of a Westminster Parliament majority. 
And looking at, you know, Sturgeon's poll ratings, as you say, during COVID, she was incredibly popular. What were the kind of flashpoints, James, in terms of affecting that and making her, you know, her sort of uh, favourable ratings about on par with favourable and unfavourable? What, what sort of reduced those? Were there any kind of key moments over the last few years? Yeah, well, firstly, you're absolutely right. I mean, we did a poll um, in October 2020. Nicholas Sturgeon's ratings were through the roof. Boris Johnson's were through the floor. There was a big lead for independence. Nicola Sturgeon herself actually shared her poll with a sort of shared our poll uh, with a sort of excited face emoji, uh, saying it was a treasure trove of information. I noticed she's not been quite so complimentary about the <laughs> most recent uh, Scottish independence polls we've been working on. Look, I think the big thing there was that Scotland was able to differentiate itself in its COVID response from England, and also Nicola Sturgeon's press conferences. She made a virtue of being straight talking. Um, compared to what she sort of managed to successfully paint as a sort of chaotic English response led by Boris Johnson. Um, Katie's absolutely right. Boris Johnson is deeply unpopular in Scotland and was throughout actually his whole premiership, even before uh, his reputation took a downward turn in England. So I think that was a major thing. And then I think, you know, time went by that stark comparison stopped. Boris Johnson and the Conservatives got a little bit more popular in, in, in England over, over 2021. Uh, the vaccine rollout helped sort of blunt that difference. People started to see some of the, perhaps the benefits of the vaccine rollout being UK-wide and indeed not in the EU. But the main thing, I think, that marks Sturgeon's development is one of, one of drift, that sense that, you know, voters actually wanted her to get on with the job of, of domestic issues rather than uh, rather than obsessing over an independence referendum. Not my words, but the words of many of the Scottish focus groups I talked to. But there's also no doubt that, as we said, this trans stuff over the last few weeks has, has had a big impact. And I think we've got a really interesting demonstration of how actually culture war issues can make a very big splash in our domestic politics. And Katie, finally, looking at this you know, the, the Nicola Sturgeon going, look at the way the union, um, you know, no to independence is now on 56%. Is this a vindication of what Number 10 has been doing uh, in the strategies adopted using Michael Gove to kind of champion a softly, softly approach to Scotland rather than the sort of confrontational approach that some within the Tory party were urging? Yeah, I, I think potentially it is, though I suppose you need to break it down. The fact that, as James has been saying, Scottish Labour stands the most to benefit from this. I think where it's not as low, it's not as though you have a situation where that approach has necessarily been bringing SNP votes to the Tories, but perhaps that is just something that can't really be achieved. So that's a wrong metric by which to judge it. I think what the government has done very well in the past few weeks from a tactical point of view is the handling of Section 35. So you talk about the gender recognition bill. I mean, I wonder what would have happened if Boris Johnson was prime minister during this. If he had gone for Section 35, and I don't think we can know for certain that he would or wouldn't wouldn't have done, I think it would have seen it much more, because you, you saw when it was first announced that, you know, lots on, even including some in Labour, they wanted to talk about it as though it was culture wars and the Tories waging a culture war. And I think it was harder to say that with the way, partly because it was Rishi Sunak. So there's something about Boris Johnson where lots of people just decide it's um, really divisive, even if a politician somewhere else would do it, it might not be seen as such or to the same level. And then I also think the the way that the government focused so much on the union, and a lot of this work was done by Kemi Badenoch um, in terms of the Equalities Office, very quickly looking at how this could undermine the Equality Act, which then there was a legal case. But it was Alistair Jack, the Scottish Secretary, fronting it. And the line was very much, this is a constitutional issue, this is what we're going to do. And I think it meant it was much harder 
for Nicola Sturgeon and those around her to turn their attention back to the Tories and say, look at these Tories waging their culture war. And it meant there was much more attention on her. So I think the handling there, which does, I think, fit into the Michael Gove strategy of, as we said before in this podcast, where you can, honey, not vinegar. And I, I think that probably is the most noticeable thing this week in terms of the UK government's handling of issues relating to Scotland. Well, thank you, Katie. Thank you, James. And thank you for listening to Copyhouse Shots. And you can get tickets to our special event on the budget on March 15th from www.spectator.co.uk forward slash budget.